Welcome to the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. OuterLimitsRadio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. This is part five of The Death Show, and it features the Virtues, who are an elite team on the Outer Limits of Inner Truth. They've been with us since 2014. They're comprised of psychic mediums, empaths, and astrologer. And for those of you who have a certain belief pattern, know you are not going to go to hell or burst into flames from listening to this portion of the show. I guarantee it. And for those of you out there who don't believe in psychics and don't believe in psychic phenomena, I honor your decision. But I want to bring a couple of things to your attention. First off, can you explain the existence of humanity? Can you explain consciousness? I know I can. And I think that science is part of our understanding. I think science is a tool not to be separated from the metaphysical. I think metaphysical and science should be working together because I think they both offer a different side. And when joined together, I think we get a clear understanding. Also, when it comes to psychic phenomena, when it comes to ESP, you should hear some of our previous shows that we've done about brain waves. How if your brain is oscillating at a certain frequency, it's going to pull into uh, your, your vision more information. Also, our brains cannot process an abundance of information. We only have a limited capability of processing certain things. So some of the phenomena that these gifted psychic mediums see, I believe, is because their brains operate in a certain way. And full disclosure, I've talked to 75 psychic empaths, psychic mediums, and these four individuals stand out. They're just absolutely amazing. I'll tell you who they are right now. First one is Miss Lisa McGarity. She basically has saved me from prison, I don't know, how many times? Probably 10 or 12 times because I just – I'm goofy. I just get in a lot of trouble on a regular basis, not even – not intentionally, but she's absolutely amazing. She's been able to facilitate communication with relatives. Also, we have Carrie O'Connor who is a psychic medium. She's incredible what she does. Oh, and I just want to let you know that uh, you know sometimes when you go to psychics and they tell you stuff about their relatives and say, oh, you know, you so-and-so says hello – when I talk to Carrie, when I talk to Lisa, the relatives that come through actually like make fun of me. They tell me how badly I'm doing in the bedroom and how I'm getting fat. So that's how I know that my relatives are actually there. They're authentic. <laughs> then we have Miss Lisa Kaza, who is a psychic empath. She's really good at uh, communications with spirit, picking up information. She's just amazing what she does. And you have Constance Stellis, who's probably the world's top astrologer. And when you combine those four individuals you have a perception on reality and a perception on death that you can't get anywhere else. So it's a great, great honor to present all four of these individuals to your attention tonight. I love them so much. They are a dear part of my heart. And let us begin tonight's program. Joining us now is Miss Lisa McGarity, globally respected psychic medium and owner of Vision Crystal Magic Store. You can learn more about Ms. McGarity by going to her website at lisamcgarity.com. Ms. McGarity, welcome to the program. Our focus today is about death. And wanted to ask you right away is how soon do you generally see spirits or are able to communicate with spirits after they have passed? Hi, Ryan. I mean, that's a fantastic question. I think the rule of thumb in my community has been to wait about a year, which sounds like a long time before you can have clear communication. 
although there's always exceptions. And I've had people literally come from the funeral and sit across from me, and their deceased brother, uncle, father, mother has come right through. So, you know, there's a, there's a difference in the way spirits communicate when they pass on. But in order to have really good, clear communication with the medium, it's best if about a year goes by. Okay, so a year, what does that um, mean? Does that mean the spirit is getting, a, is that person being accumulated, acclimated to their new surroundings? Why does it make it easier for the person to be able to communicate? Right, it's far, year? that's exactly right. I think that what happens is, you know, it's just like a baby being born here. That spirit is the baby spirit into in the next dimension, and they need to have some time to rest and relax. They need to take some time to look over their life and commune with the loved ones that are already there think about the choices they made during their lifetime. So it's kind of an adjustment period. It doesn't mean that you won't have any spiritual contact, but it may be cloudy, it may be more emotional, and it may be less clear in, a, in that first year or so, that time period. Okay. If you look at Earth, and it is a mixture of people that uh, we'd say are very positive and very negative, yet they're all existing in one collective plane of existence, a physical dimension. What is the reality that people who pass go to? Is it another? Is it just called the spirit world? Is it one? Is it something similar to Earth, where you yeah. have people from both positive and negative all kind of coexisting in the same astral plane? Well, I think the most important thing to understand is that the next dimension isn't one place. It's a huge multidimensional universe that the planet Earth is inside of. So when people leave here, depending on what their spiritual focus is, what their desire to learn about is, or what their education level, if you can use that term, their, their spiritual IQ, what they, need, what they need to maybe make up for, since we all do make mistakes when we're here, we all land in a different zone. So no, everyone doesn't go to the exact same place, but you will be drawn toward your own ancestors. And you will be drawn towards spirits that are of like mind and have similar interests, similar philosophies. That's the most common experience in the next dimension. Okay. Well, just curious. What if you are somebody who is, let's say, schizophrenic or has a mental disorder and you're, you're not consciously aware or you're not fully in control of your situation? Are you also going to be pulled into a reality based on the corresponding mental state that you were in the physical body, or are you going to be pulled into, a, let's say, a reality that is beyond the comprehension or the physical limitations of the mind at this time? Right. I think that we need to remember that mental illness is just like physical illness. It's just one piece of that whole person's soul or spirit. You never know exactly what the higher self reason is for having an illness. And so there could be a myriad reasons why someone may end up wanting to walk through a pathway of, of, of having, for instance, you said schizophrenia. There's a hundred million reasons, and none of us here on Earth are God, so we shouldn't presume. But there could very well be a very high-level person, a loving being, someone who's chosen to come back to the Earth and have a greater understanding through suffering through that particular illness just like some people come back with particular handicaps or disabilities, and they can be some of the most evolved people at times because they're here on purpose to work through a, a very strong challenge. Okay. And when you communicate with these spirits, how do you see them? How do you see them when you when you were doing a reading for someone? Do they, do they appear in like a, kind of a ghost-like form? Well, it's so also, funny. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Okay. Oh. Uh, you know, people come in a lot of different ways, and I, that's one of the things that's been so interesting over the years of reading for people 
is that the spirits I talk to all have their own unique personal energy signature. So some show up and I see them very clearly. They show me an image of red hair and fair skin or or red lipstick or whatever, you know, whatever their um, physical body looked like when they were here. Some come in more like an impression. I just get a quick a quick hit of what they might look like, and they communicate more perhaps with feelings or words or ideas. So just like here on Earth where everybody's real different and we all talk to each other in a different way, same thing from the spirit world. You know, some spirits um, are very, very solid. It can almost look to me like I'm looking at someone who's living. Some come in a more soft, impressionable way, and they just impress themselves into my mind's eye, if that makes sense. Yes, and when you are seeing these spirits, I want to, I've always wanted to know, how are they able to communicate? Does it take a lot of effort for a spirit that is no longer in a physical body to be able to generate the energy needed to facilitate communication with you or facilitate communication with somebody who's still in the physical body? Right. So I think that we need to understand that the spirits of the deceased are using a language of mental telepathy. And this is the same way that we all communicate with each other here on Earth as well, um, although we don't realize usually that we're doing it. It's the same way people have a, a great, terrific bond a lot of times with their pets, and you, it seems like the pet knows what you're thinking and you understand the pet. There's a vibrational communication that's coming through that isn't words per se. So spirits who are communicating, some are fantastic at it. Some of them are forceful and loud and very direct. And some are indirect or some are hard to sort of pick up or hard to understand, just like it is right here on Earth. You know, we, we have people who are great speakers and communicate very well, very effectively. And then we have people that are soft-spoken or more subtle about how they want to, you know, say their ideas. Same thing. Sure. Is there any... Is there, is there anything a person can actually do right now to train themselves to be able to be a great orator, orator to a person when they pass? Like, is there anything they could do right now to begin to, I don't, improve their ability to communicate with people sure. after they pass? Absolutely. The the best thing to do is to set a strong intention. You know, if your best friend Joseph died, you would be saying out loud or in your mind constantly, you know, Joseph, I intend to communicate with you. I want to speak with you. So please. Enter my dreams, enter my thoughts, send me a sign. I would repeat that a few times during the day. And then if you have, um, you know, any free time and you really want to make contact with Joseph, it's great to take out a pen and paper and just write a letter to someone who's deceased and just go ahead and write to them as if you as if you're going to send them an email or as if you're going to hand that letter to them later on. What will often happen is you're going to get an answer to that letter. And the answer will come either in your dreams in your meditations, or even when you're just going about your business on a regular day, all of a sudden you'll you'll get a feeling from the spirit of the person who's passed over. Okay, and we were talking about death itself. The transition between the physical body and the spirit form. Are there any commonalities that you've uh, you've known about or seen? Have you have, have you ever visually seen a person leaving their body? And um, if and there's another part of this question is that when this transition happens. What are some of the first things a person will likely experience, the sensations of making this transition? Um, I have been in the company of someone as they passed away, and I think a lot of us have, whether it's a, a relative. And what I've seen energetically has been a beautiful, amazing explosion of light. So if anyone's psychically sensitive and they're able to see energy, that what they'll see will be like a kaleidoscope of light as someone moves from their physical body into the spirit realm. 
And then you've also asked me what the person experiences when they cross. Was that yeah? Yeah. Well, yeah. What are the what, what are the sensations? So, when right. you when you're when you when you're done, what what happens? What do you expect? Do you feel lightheaded? Do you um, what what are some of these I guess physical sensations that a person will, would experience? Right. And you know, so many spirits come through and tell me different things. So I would definitely think mm-hmm. part of it is very individual. But they have all reported this one thing to me is a huge sense of relief. It's like, wow, like I'm flying, I'm out of my body. So even if they're not having the sensation of flying per se, it's like, oh, I'm relieved. I'm not inside my body anymore. And it feels familiar to them, and it feels like freedom that they weren't able to experience while they were alive. So very often, it's a happy, super happy experience. What if a person has lived a very negative lifestyle or is tied to darker forces? Are they um, as this is going to be a two-part question. Is right. That, is, are you, if you are very high positive or high negative, does the sensation of death, I guess, have a, a totally different meaning to it, a totally different feel to it? Are you maybe pulled much faster towards the light or pulled much quicker into the darkness depending on your vibration at the time of your death? Right. I mean, I don't feel like there's this big dark pit where all the bad people go. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I think it's important for us not to think like that. I do think that those spirits that have done difficult things will definitely go to a space where they're going to review their life. They're going to realize what they've done, hopefully. They're going to feel all the feelings that they've caused others. In fact, I believe we all do that. We we feel the emotions that we've influenced others to feel. So if there's no other good reason to be nice, that's a good reason right there. But um, so those folks who have struggled, if it really depends mostly on their spiritual connection. If they have no spiritual connection and no spiritual life, they usually have a real difficult time crossing over. They can become lost or stuck in different dimensions. That's that's what I've been told. On the other hand, folks who have a great active spiritual life, no matter what their religion or denomination might be, they usually have an easier time and end up right away where they intend to be or where they want to be. Right. Do you think a person would be more likely to have a hard time making the transition into the spiritual realm? Let's say if you have somebody who's involved in organized religion and you have somebody who's an atheist, does a person who has who's involved in organized religion have an advantage of already kind of expecting a um, a sense that there will be life after you pass, whereas an atheist doesn't have any kind of expectation? And it's just a totally different realm to them. Right. And you know what, Ryan, that's one of the most interesting readings I ever did. I was sitting with a woman who had a long-time live-in uh, love affair with a man who was a writer and was quite an intellectual and very much an atheist, a vowed atheist, would not and believe in any God or any religion. And he came through in a reading, and it was the funniest. It, we, were, we were laughing so hard together, my client and I, <laughs> because he was like, basically cursing, saying, how, how, how did this happen? Why am I still here? And it, it was very funny. But he was being so funny. funny. And his personality came through loud and clear. I mean, there was no doubt about his presence in the room. But he did say he was deeply shocked and confused after death, and it took him some time to be able to admit to himself that, indeed, he was dead. It was hard for him to believe. He kept thinking it was a dream or a mistake, and he was going to wake up. All right. When we are in our physical bodies right now, it seems like we have all have an individual personality, an individual ego. When we pass, is that something where you become less of yourself and kind of more merged into a collective consciousness? Is that part of the evolution um, for a spirit? Or do you kind of maintain your personality, maintain 
the sense of who you are and then transition to another uh, life existence somewhere? I really have found that most people maintain the sense of who they are. They're still the same person, understanding their life and just getting ready for the next life. They don't necessarily transcend on to the collective consciousness very often. We tend to keep coming back here. (laughs) We tend to keep coming back? (laughs) We do. Um, and if you're talking now, we're talking right now for people who are like from morning, who are very, you know, missing someone who's who's very close to them. Right. What advice would you give to them who've uh, people who've lost a loved one? Like how do you how do you talk to them when you're talking to them? It's so like, hard. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, unfortunately, that's that's life on planet Earth. We lose the people we love. It's real difficult. What I would say to them is to make an effort to reach out because they will get signs and they will get contact, whether it's in dreams or quick impressions or just signs out in the world, our loved ones in spirit want to talk to us. And so they they will come across and we'll find a way to communicate. And so, you know, definitely keep trying to keep that door of communication open. Have you ever an experience where you're talking to a spirit and uh, you're doing reading and the spirit actually has negative things to say about the person? Yeah, it happens all the time. <laughs> yeah, it really does. Really? Yeah. Get out of here. And I've actually asked, I've had clients say to me, please, just tell them to leave. And I do. Because, yeah, it's happened. You know, some people who are struggling here, unfortunately, they keep struggling over there. And so what we we really only thing we can do is to pray for them, to wish them well, and and that's it. But, um, yeah, I have had that happen, that really difficult people that were maybe destructive to their family and just not great people have come through and not really been apologetic. In fact, been just as mean and horrible as they were when they were alive. My impression about that, my understanding of it is that, you know, that somebody who hasn't really learned yet the lessons of that lifetime, they're still trying to get it. So hopefully they'll get it before they reincarnate. Okay. I'm curious to know that people have talked about uh, seeing ghosts in haunted houses. Are ghosts actual people or are ghosts residual energy of actions that occur within that house? More often it's residual energy in most hauntings. Okay. There can be spirits who stay behind for a collection of different reasons, but more often what you're picking up on is energy of things that happen in different time periods. Okay. I'm curious to know if you if you had, say, for example, you had reincarnated at a later time in life and you had gone to a place and it was haunted and your presence of your piece of yourself was there, is there any way for people to actually figure out if they, there's a piece of themselves that is actually uh, residual energy and actually haunting a, a location? And if so, could a person go to that place kind of reclaim a piece of themselves and maybe have a greater peace of mind. You're a very, that's an amazing question you just asked me, Ryan. Only Ryan McCormick would ask me that uh, question. Could I haunt well, at least my own can answer it. <laughs> okay, yes. I think you could haunt your own house, I suppose. Um, that's for, really funny. For, for folks who um, are interested in soul pieces, though, I would recommend uh, learning more about a practice which is um, akin to shamanism, which is where you reclaim your lost soul pieces. So it could be that there are bits and pieces of you hanging out in the universe and you want to call them back to you. That's that's a very possible and viable thing. Do you think that could be a reason why people sometimes people they, they feel unfulfilled or they feel like, you know, that there's a piece in the missing or they could that be a specific reason? I'm just kinda of curious. If you if you want to do that, how would you do that? Would you um I know we're I know we're going way off track a little bit, but after speaking, how yeah, would you do that? Yeah, I mean I'm not an expert in shamanism, but that that's the sort of thing you would do. You would you would contact someone who's experienced in shamanism and they could guide you through the process of reclaiming your lost soul pieces. And very often what I've heard and what I understand is that you can reclaim them across time periods. So even if it's a past life trauma, um or whatever it may be, you can call those pieces back to you and restore your vital energy. 
So, yeah, that could certainly account for people being a little depressed or a little off kilter, yes. Absolutely amazing. Ms. Lisa McGarity, well-respected psychic medium and owner of Vision Crystal. And I just want to let people know that they can learn more about you by going to your website at LisaMcGarity.com. They can learn more about your store by going to EnvisionCrystal.com. And in Lisa's store, she's got a lot of amazing candles and a lot of great products that you can utilize to protect yourself, to communicate with others. And, you know, it's fantastic. Ms. Lisa McGarity, thank you so much for Thanks being with for us having today. me, Ryan. Have a, have a good night. Joining us now is the Astrophenom, the outer limits of inner truth, astrologer, and virtue, Miss Constance Stellas. To learn more about Miss Constance Stellas and to get a chart reading with Miss Constance Stellas, please go to our website at constancestellas.com. Okay, Miss Stellas, our focus of today is on death and the birth and life and death cycle. When a person is born, what can you gleam about what that person is going to experience in their life just based on the time and location right. uh, from an astrological chart perspective? Sure. First of all, there's two things you can be certain of. They're born and they're going to die. <laughs> okay? So um, this is a silly joke, but um, I think it is important to note that the time, place, uh, uh, and circumstances of birth are made by the soul in consultation, let's say, with higher wisdom. That's maybe the best way to put it. So, in other words, you choose your parents. I know a lot of people are going to say, oh, my God, I have just screwed myself royally. But you, you, you choose your family circumstances and you choose the um, uh, circumstances of many things in your life, not because uh, you say, oh, boy, this is going to be a good one. I'm going to be rich and famous. I mean, that could be. But it's the soul's choice to learn something spiritually uh, to evolve. And this can be um, a very easy life. It can be a very difficult life or a combination of the two, which is usually the more um, uh, likely uh, scenario. When uh, a child is born, first of all, when a child is conceived, it is different from when the spirit enters the kind of protoplasm of the, the child. It's called quickening. And it takes nine months, as we know. And then the child uh, gets ready to come into this uh, sphere. And you can see from a, from a, uh, an astrology chart, was, was the child really happy that uh, he or she was coming back? where they say, oh, no, no, not that again, and, and it was a very uh, long and difficult labor. Uh, so those things are very clear in the chart. Now, about the time of the transition from this world into spirit or the passing, that um, has is a very touchy matter in terms of uh, astrology because, in a way, not in a way, it is occult knowledge, and it cannot be uh, judged or stated flippantly or, oh yeah, well, this is what's going to happen to you, because the chart can indicate many different times of transition, and sometimes it's from what we call life to death, and sometimes it's the death of a situation. I don't mean 
you know, a pet dying is, is, is sad, but as far as a major life trauma or major life event, I should say, it's not always the case. So uh, we have to get very specific. Now, there is a formula, uh, or I should say there's a way to calculate what is called the Heilig, H-Y-L-E-G. And this was a very ancient concept that we've used in astrology for a long time, which outlines the period of time when a transition is most likely. Almost no ethical astrologers will do this because they may be wrong. They may be giving a very, very scary prediction to someone. And the information can be misused. So how does that happen? Well, let's say somebody has a rich old uncle and they're just licking their chops waiting for the uncle to die. That is not a correct use of the wisdom of astrology or you know, even the laws of life, so to speak. So this question of when am I going to pass into spirit or when is he going to pass into spirit and make me wealthy has many different ramifications. And um, you can see in a chart if someone has chosen or that their fate is to die young. Um, tragedies with very, very young children who, who incarnated for a week or a month and then went back to the great beyond. All of those things uh, can be um, deduced from a chart. But in my opinion, um, life has its own challenges and the best use of astrology is to help us live well okay were you mentioning the idea that a soul could leave at any point in time what are the let me say it this way do you have do you have a rough idea using astrology when a person is going to die like roughly approximately like no a I, I, I usually steer uh, any ethical astrologer will steer clear well, of that information, unless um, someone comes to me and their mother or their family member has just gotten a very difficult diagnosis, okay? And uh, in some cases, it's not my most easy or nor my favorite kind of session, it's important for the person to know that Anything that needs to be said needs to be said now, and that most likely the person will pass away. You cannot give a day or a time. You can only say the, the condition is serious, or you have more time, or better get things in order quickly. And that is, um, I think, a correct and a, a worthwhile use of the um, wisdom of astrology. Um, and sometimes we're surprised. Sometimes we're surprised because something happens very quickly. Right. And when you look at a chart and you see that astrology, it's a, it seems like a combination of parts, that things are always changing. Mm. Do you have only a certain amount of period within your life to learn certain lessons that you came here to learn? Otherwise, then you just kind of move on to the next life. No, it's not that, that rigid. I know people who have um, lived well into their 90s and they're kind of astounded that they have and and it it, it seems from their chart they they got an extension you know like the, <laughs> filing your taxes they got an extension <laughs> um 
and and maybe that was the bonus round, or maybe it was um, important for other family members to have them alive and to take care of them before they passed. There's, there's all sorts of dynamics, but you can be sure that if you're alive now uh, and you want, you know, we, we assume that everybody wants to stay alive, that, that you have a certain amount of control over the length of your life and, of course, the quality of, of your life. Um, I had a very, very profound teacher, uh, not an astrologer, but um, uh, a medical doctor who studied with many, many, many different tribes and knew all sorts of different healing methods. And um, he was 77 years old, and he told his wife um, one day, he said, I had a dream um, that I was going to die, and there was nothing I could do about it. Well, he was a pretty high-minded spiritual person and meditated a lot, and so they went about their lives, and a week later he died. That was it. So in that case, he was given wisdom and uh, information that he could share with the person he loved most, and it was a benefit. Now, if he had come to me and said, well, what about this dream or whatever, I would have said, possible. Only possible, because it's not really my place to say, oh, yeah, you're going to die. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a tender, uh, difficult subject. I appreciate that. And, Ms. Dallas, when a person is, let's see this way, let me start the count again, three, two, one. Is there anything that you can garner from a person who's currently alive right now, as to what their next lifetime will be. Mm-hmm. Do certain charts, do, do certain chart readings give an indication of how many lives they will have or any indication of what their past life likely was? For sure, surely. The past lives are, um, you can trace a whole bunch of them. But the more important fact is which or what from a past life is impinging or gracing the current life. Uh, And when it's impinging, it means it's a block. For example, I have a a client who is quite quite a talented writer. I mean, she, she, but she ghost writes. I mean, she never writes anything for herself or on her own. She's an editor. If, if you say to her, well, what about this? She'll say, no, you have to do this, that, and the other thing. She fixes things up. She has marvelous ideas. And um, the way her chart is arranged, she was a scribe, she was a writer, and she was either punished or persecuted for the truth, the writings that she uh, had to offer. And she learned this lesson of, you know, don't let them know you know what you're doing. So... Um, we we discussed it a lot because she wants to write. And so she has to get through this block now that she's in this time frame and uh, nobody's going to come after her, you know, for heresy or anything else, uh, and she should write. So, see, there it is impinging on her current life. And if she can kind of move out of that energy, she will enjoy it. Okay. 
Miss Constance Stellis, the astrophenom. I want to thank you, as always, for your wonderful and very sharp insight. <laughs> to learn more about Miss Constance Stellis and to get a chart reading of Miss Constance Stellis, please go to our website at ConstanceStellis.com. Thank you so much for You're welcome. Joining us now is the queen of the universe, globally respected psychic comedian and out of limits of Tooth radio show Virtue, Miss Carrie O'Connor. You can learn more about Miss Carrie O'Connor and get a reading with Miss Carrie O'Connor by going to her website at carrieoconnor.com. Miss O'Connor, our focus of today is about death. It's about experiencing what happens when we pass. From your perspective, from somebody who's been seeing visuals since you were a child, what do you observe visually occurring when a person dies? Is there some typical visuals or does it vary based on what kind of life that they lived? There's a theme that goes on, Ryan, and, um, but everyone's unique, right? But overlaying theme is that imagine the person, it looks like they unzip from their physical body, and then their physical body looks like it drops in the floor like um, uh, a cloth that you are wearing, a robe, right? And as soon as that physical, the denseness of the physical body starts, it goes on the floor, the person realizes that they're still alive, right? They're like, hey, wait a minute. I'm not dead. There's, I'm eternal. I'm immortal. I'm still alive. And not only do they feel more alive, but they can feel lighter and lighter and lighter and lighter, right? And if they made peace in, with the death process when they, they went over, they are literally a magnetic pull. There's like tubes that come out that have a pull. That people say um, that came back from near-death experiences that they were blinded by the light and they saw all the relatives coming in. So. You can have that experience. You could have guides and angels coming in. You could have um, uh, pets coming in. It really is unique to you because if pets are going to help you get through and take that next step into um, the spiritual levels, they know kind of what where to, um, the direction to go into. Other times people reconnect with other um, relatives. Other times people bypass relatives and that just go right up to it looks like a very high level where they see um, ascended masters or, or guides or that kind of thing. So it is unique to everybody as far as the death process. What we resist persists. So let's say somebody came in and they didn't believe in anything. I see this a lot mm-hmm. with, with like elderly men that really felt like you die, you come in here, you live, and then you die, and then you go back to the ground, right? And then their face is the deer in the headlight. It's like when they undubbed, um, zip from the physical body, and they not only feel lighter, they feel younger and, like, more in their prime because their energy is spinning. And, again, the physical body could all of a sudden seem very, very dense where they could feel like they really get expanded and look down at the physical body and they say, how did I ever fit in that physical body, right? And so the deer in the headlights when people didn't have any idea on what to expect on the other side, when they first originally do the deer in the headlights, they have two options. They can stay there where that would be, they would be considered more earthbound, Right. And earthbound people could be afraid to go ahead because they're attached to earthly things, their house, their money. You know, some people, this is my house, this is my money, I don't care if I'm, you know, uh, dead, mm. still going to be around it. That's when you can see the hauntings, you know. And other people, it's a fear of the life review, what's going to happen, because that is the next stage of it, is that when you go through there and the deeper in your life, I mean, your um, the process that you go into, you start, you go for a life review. And that's where you don't watch it like a movie where you're seeing every single experience that happened to you. You're feeling it. So let's say you were abused by the father. 
you see the father when he dies he will go over there and then he'll see how he'll feel how you felt and let's say the father abuses power was very abusive alcoholic and he would slam down the stairs feet by fofum and the child would be in the corner just waiting for the abuse to happen he would feel it firsthand and wow. you felt right so it's again it's not like a lot of people think you're watching a movie and that you could feel yes bad that then that child was um so beaten down by the abuse that it affected their future relationships, it affected how they lived in life. They always had to be on guard because they had abuse at a young age. It's very different when you're feeling it and you're feeling the pit in your stomach of the of the um, the feet coming down, that the terror that the child felt. You know, that's very different. Um, oh, so you experience every action that you pushed upon someone? Yes, yes, you do. Okay. So people who are cruel, who are sadistic, especially with animals, they experience the same pain that they've inflicted on the animals? Yes. And, you know, that's why, Ryan, I've had a lot of clients who say, let's say they had a a mother-in-law, ex-mother-in-law, that they blamed that she destroyed my marriage and she was a witchy, bitchy person and I can't wait, you know, I want to see her get her getting around. You know, karma coming around, goes around, and they want to see it in person. One thing I always encourage them to say that if they didn't learn – and hopefully a person did learn about forgiveness here and letting go and, and really um, taking in the, the forgiveness of the mother-in-law because the forgiveness is going to set that ex-daughter-in-law free, right? But mm-hmm. if they didn't, then it, um, we experience it over there, right? So the more we do the work here, the less we have to do it over there, right? And if we had no accountability of how we um, directed our life force or God force, and then we go over there, we have our life review. I've seen people come out of it, and they look very, very ragged. It looks like they're hair is all um, like electrically on end and that they just look like kind of like they were really shooken up. And I know that they had a tough life review because we have to take accountability, responsibility. We not only feel, see, sense everything that happened if you abused a dog, Mm. all of a sudden you're inside the dog and you see the the eyes of the abuser coming towards you and it's through your eyes, right? So there's really Mm. not getting away from anything. That's the beauty of karma. We don't have to worry about it. We, there's a divine order, and it, energy takes care of itself. Karma takes care of itself, right? And then there's other yeah. people that went in life reviews, and they kind of came out like, phew, it wasn't that bad, right? Jeez. Learn <laughs> they might learn, like my grandmother in particular, my mom's dad, um, my dad's mom, she really came back fast to say, I want to um, erase the patterns that I sent down to all of you 23 grandchildren about how you felt about money because she really gave us the message that money was the root of all evil. You can't be holy or good and have money. And that comes from generations. It comes from different religions. And it's a, it's a seed. It's a thought that could be planted in the energy field. And it's not like you have to sit around the dinner table and talk about it every night. But it pro- can profoundly affect how you um, affect your dealings with money. Then throw on that, again, some religious things. So when my grandmother came back, it looks like she went over to this chalkboard this is my symbol, and she wanted to erase, especially the patterns that she handed down to her kids and her grandchildren about the thoughts of money. She really wants to say money is an exchange of energy. Money is not evil. It does not um, make you good or bad. It's an exchange of energy. What you do with it, you know, is another story, but money is energy like everything else in the universe is energy. So that's when people come out and they immediately go into because they have like a clearer view. Think of when we're in the, our physical bodies. We usually have tr- tunnel vision, and we only really see the tree. Part of our journey here is to be able to 
see the forest and see the tree at the same time. That tunnel vision will block us from having experiences of all sorts, from literally um, experiencing the world as a multi-universe, the energies that are around us, be able to get information from the trees, from the rocks. There's always communication that's constantly going on. So they leave their life review. Again, that's an opportunity for them to forgive themselves, and it's not like angels and guides are standing there with their check sheet and saying, okay, check, 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 you cried enough or you did this, you know. They're really the journey of it, much like an ayahuasca journey, when mm. you take the uh, going on the ayahuasca journey, it ends up you having to set yourself free. It's like um, forgiving of yourself, right? There's the old saying, we do better when we know better, and it truly is. When we know better, we do better. So that's the life review gives us a lot of opportunity to do some major healing, and then that is, is able to literally clear out generational patterns that have been handed down, right? So that's the person's job on the other side. You could say that, especially if they put a pattern that was really um, blocked generations, like life has to do with the struggle, sacrifice, the bad guys finish last, you know? Um, and so the people think that you have to struggle in life, and the more you struggle, the more you're being good, and you'll place, get a better place in heaven. That's not necessarily true. The first thing that they say is get rid of that thought pattern that life has to be a struggle and sacrifice and that the suffering isn't doing anybody good. Yeah. When you have a life review and you experience directly yeah. the pain or suffering that you've, you've infringed upon someone or you've punished someone with, why would you then have to come back for other lifetimes to experience being murdered or being suffering, if you've already experienced it in the past life and during the life review, if you've experienced action, reaction, experienced the direct result, reaction, why would you have to come back in another life, future life, to experience that? Well, that's a really good question, right? It goes back to if the person comes full, complete circle where they take accountability of, the, of what they did, forgive themselves, forgive others, and then it looks like the person there's like this 360 degree turn where they take total accountability so that means they don't necessarily have to go back and have to experience that if they don't take accountability it's like they um it's almost like they tip their um test the waters or they dip their toes in accountability and say yeah i can understand this or i forgive a little bit of this but then consciously or unconsciously they still have a lot of forgiveness to work on and it could be from mm -hmm. lifetimes and lifetimes then the person could come back and have to learn about forgiveness again right when we go over there and we consciously say, I'm going to, it's like nip it in the bud. I want to pull this up by the root, like with the block that has been blocking us in this holding pattern that keeps us for generations in a thought form that leads us to mind, money, um, body, and uh, duality. When we get to the root cause of it, we can have a profound release where it's like a pathway that was in front of you of, this is how you're going to learn again, and you're going to have to come back around and learn about um, how not to misuse your power and how, where, what started you as the thought form that you could misuse power and, and abuse of power, that kind of thing. So if you take, again, full accountability, we don't get away with anything over there. Again, if we can't do it with our fingers crossed behind our back and saying, I forgive everybody, I'm asking for forgiveness, and I take total accountability, and then our, we're, we're totally not aligned to it. This is real full body, mind, and soul accountability and responsibility. Okay. And also, in a part of the life review, understanding is that sometimes we come and we incarnate in a family group, soul group, or nation group, and our 
karma may be aligned with that family, with that nation. If our family or nation is creating harm to others, are we going to experience the pain and suffering of the collective family or the collective nation on upon our soul review? Because if we pledge allegiance to a nation or a family, mm-hmm. and we pledge our uh, loyalty to that, are we held accountable for our loyalty, regardless if that fa- uh, nation or family is bestowing peace or bestowing pain upon others? Right. Excellent question. The way I see it is that. If the person went over there and then all of a sudden they see a bigger view with it, right? So they get the tunnel vision off and then they have an opportunity to take full accountability and responsibility that there's, we can be like the sheeple people, Ryan, where Stuart always said the um, word sheeple, where we just do the right thing or, or what the government expects of us with our, our family, that, um, the, just society. And if we just do it in kind of like the time to make the donuts thing, and we're just following along. It's almost like um, we just we don't have our life for free will in a way, right? We're just doing what was expected from us. If we go there and we're born into a, an area that um, we're not totally c- connected to, or that we we wake up and we have some awareness that's saying, "Wait a minute, this is an abusive power. This isn't an empowerment energy. This isn't a misuse of energy." So even though you could be have bought, been born in that grid, in in that country that had misuse of power, and you say I don't, I don't I'm unplugging from that, and you're working on unplugging from it and forgiving for yourself from it, where any time you could have misused power, right? Then you're going to um, in your life review not have to go through it. Versus the people that got their jollies out of misuse of power. Think of the. Uh, Hitler soldiers that they were told what to do. Some of them did it as sheeples. They were ordered, they did what they did, and they had to almost connect, disconnect from their heart to be able to um, con- doing torturous, hor- horrific things to another human being. Others of them got turned on by it. It was like a, they, they loved it. It was a power-hungry Jeez. thing, right? So the ones that got turned on to it and that really liked it and misused their power, they would be have much more of an opportunity to um, also get the karmic um, things that the country has. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. It makes total, it makes total sense about it. When we are in waking reality in our physical body, I would imagine that at some point we would be limited by our ability to think because of the way our brain functions. Somebody could have experienced uh, a you know depression. Somebody could be bipolar. Somebody could be in a not healthy frame of being just because of the health of the physical brain. Mm-hmm. When they die, when they're no longer attached to the physical, does their thinking become crystal clear? Will they be able to make the best decision possible without having their brain there? Or will their decision-making process be in alignment to their brain which is no longer physically alive, but still has the thought process that was affected by ailments that were found within the brain at the time they were alive. Okay. That's a really good question, too. The way I see it is that you can have people, and I've had people that committed suicide and that they were bipolar and really almost not in charge of the way they directed the life force because of an illness, right? 
they're the ones that are most likely to go through the death process and the um, life review process and take accountability so they can feel more whole and free. I've had people that were so, so sick, Ryan. They've had bipolar their whole life, depression, and just getting up every single day and just existing was their journey in life. And so and part of their bigger message was to help the, parent, the people around them to experience compassion and all of that kind of stuff. I have a sister who's bipolar, and I, I understand this one personally. So I know that the more she is able to... Um, work on healing herself, heal the energy. When she gets out of the physical body, she can um, take, it almost looks like she gets to go to the front of the class in, um, in spirit school of how to learn to navigate over there because she realizes that part of the disease, she came in with the learning experience of disease, just like when kids could come in with mental retardation, Down syndrome, AIDS, you know, that they knew when they were coming in that that was going to be the body that they were picking up, a physical disease. The same thing is with mental disease, right? And so, and let's say you have the person that is still, even though they get out of the physical body, they're still very much scattered in that they are um, kind of all over the place and, again, not having any kind of accountability responsibility. They can go through the school where it seems like they go slower, like they end up in the back of the class and then they, they don't jump and take leaps like the other ones do. Does that make sense? Yes, it does make sense. And... Say, for example, you pass, well, let's say, upon death when you die, after you go through that past life, after you go through your, your life review, is that the moment where the soul of that particular lifetime will choose to go to a realm either aligned with heaven or hell-like state? Well, sometimes it could happen before because if they stay in the earthbound moment that they are, as far as I'm concerned, in like a hellish dimension, right? Because they, um, they know that they're still alive and they're not in that lighter energy. So that could be very feeling like a hellish way. I'm doing air quotes here, right? And other times after they finish the life review, when you get out of there, it's, it's not like, okay, you guys go over there and you guys go over here. You know what I mean? The ones that um, life reviews, you, you've got an A-plus with it and you got the front of the class that you automatically go into... Um, the group that was in the beginning of the class and having, again, to me it looks like a full circle. They can decide, it's like then they go through this process, let's say, to the first schooling is almost like kindergarten, so we learned how to navigate over there, take accountability and responsibility, unplug from our parents, understand, asking the big questions. Why did I choose those parents? Why did I choose to grow up in poor, black, uh, uh, transgender, all these things? And so as we graduate from that school, then we go to a different school where it's like a, a, we start reconnecting with our multidimensional self. So we start understanding the history of the universe, you could say. We start connecting with our higher aspects, you know. So you start meeting the times, and it could be literally you in a past life where you were a healer, let's say, or a shaman, and you um, uh, really got a place of ascension, and you've understood it, and you felt whole. And then you're able to see it again, not as a movie, you start incorporating it. It's like making stronger connections with that, that aspect of yourself. Other times we make stronger to connections with like the universal mother or the universal energy, which um, again allows us to heal ourselves and see ourselves as multidimensional beings. When we come in this earth form, think all around us. It looks like comic strip balls to me. And inside those balls are stories and experience. They look like video clips. And when anybody's carrying their parents, grandparents, be it they're dead or alive, and um, 
you know, generations around them in their dramas and traumas, when they get out of the physical body, they have a huge opportunity to step away from that, those stories that keep us in holding patterns and duality, right? And if they do step away and then they start connecting to their multidimensional selves, right, they start connecting to those lighter aspects of us, then everything changes. It's like they get, again, it's they rotate out of another level of duality, you could say, or they go up in a spiritual dimension that's a higher vibration, and we start seeing things at a very different place. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes, it, it, it does make sense. And if a person has a very strong belief, mm-hmm. sorry, regardless of organization, you believe something is a sin, and you have engaged in that activity. Say, for example, writing your name on a sheet of paper. Mm-hmm. You consider that to be a sin. In some some organized form, that is a sin, a horrible sin. You believe that is a sin. You die. Do you believe or thrust yourself into a hellish dimension because you believe wholeheartedly that what you did was an act or a horrible thing to do? I'm just kind of – what I'm getting at is I'm wondering – yeah. The human mind apparently is very powerful. The patterns of belief are very powerful. If you believe something is true and you are part of that God force, all yeah. divine spark, does it make it true? Yes, it can in a way. That's that's where you go into the different schools, right? So the kindergarten okay. through you know, pre-state school, we learn to navigate. We learn the ABCs, right? Then when you start to go in the second level, you could say that you start connecting to those higher aspects of ourselves. Some people don't connect to it. They They stay again, hovering in that beginning school level. When you go into the part when you're doing exactly what you're talking about, where it's like you have a belief system where, again, the root is, uh, money's the root of all evil, and that it is so ingrained with you and that you had money, if your beliefs, right, are so strong that it's like double-layered, you believe it personally, it's part of your own personal karma, it's part of the, the, um, the, the patterns that were handed down to you from generations, the person... When you go back to the ABC school, that's when they're going to want to drop those those sins. Do you know what I mean? They want to, they're going to have an opportunity to look at the sin in a different way. Is money a sin? No. Money is energy. Is everything else is energy, and the whole universe is energy. When you come down to it and keep it very simple, and yes, people can do good stuff with money. They could do not too good stuff with money. They could miss it, you know, abuse it. But is money in itself a sin? No. But if the person holds oh, my gosh, money is sin, I can't be holy, and I won't be able to get to a higher state in heaven because I had I made money, that's going to keep the person in a holding pattern until they really see everything and realize that money is energy. And no, it's the thoughts and belief systems that kept me in this holding pattern. And as soon as we have that recognition, we could, again, rotate out of that, Brian. It's Brian. We could just unpull our the direction of where we're it's like a tube that's connecting us to it and keeping us in that holding pattern. And by our awareness, we unplug from that and we um, ground the energy and then we ground in the new information that money is energy. And so then the likelihood of that person having to go back and um, experience the sin of money, they're not going to have to because they changed over there. They shifted. They rotated out of that. Does that make sense? Uh, yes, it makes total sense. Well, the question I have for you, Miss O'Connor, is this: You see a lot of people who come to you because they're, you know, they're in pain, they're suffering, they they want to connect with somebody who's departed, uh, or you know, just the pain of death is is awful. Right. 
What are some of the things that you um, you've done or do to to bring consolation to them, or things that they can actually do to console themselves? Right. Well, the first thing I tell everybody is that the grief process is it goes in different stages. You know, they always talk about the nine grief stages and um, disease and um, grief process. And I there's a shamanistic term called holding space, and so that's when you open up your heart. It's an energetic posture. You come from that heart space. You truly are listening to the person. It's like you're the sounding bird. You're not bored. You're not listening and just waiting for a space so then you could add your two cents in. You're really allowing the person to speak, to grieve. And the grieving process, again, is very different for everybody. The stages, denial, betrayal, anger, rage, and I encourage them to go through the process, not to uh, sometimes there are people in the new age um, area they feel like they have to bypass death, like they have to go through it very quickly, and that they, um, it's like a spiritual bypass, so they don't let their bodies go through the pain that they experience when they experience death of somebody close. But it's still stored in their energy body, right? And so we want to recognize that it's different from everybody, so don't judge anybody else. A lot of people, when um, they, you lose a child, the divorce rate goes up to 85% that you are going to get a divorce after loss of a child, and the most reason is the divorce is because two people are processing grief differently, right? And so it's, I encourage them not to say, you should be doing this, you know? When my cousin died, my aunt was a psychotherapist, and she joined groups that, um, that lost children early, and she was very vocal about it. My uncle had to process it by writing and being by himself and kind of processing it, and then he'd speak about it. And she had enough of training in psychotherapy where she didn't say, Jim, you have to go to these meetings with me. You have to come to these, these groups, and, and that's the way you're going to heal because that was good for her, but that's not good. wasn't good for my uncle. His writing and processing and that was the way that he went through the grief process, right? So the first thing I encourage is, especially when it's a family, everyone's grief process is their own. Don't judge it. Let yourself go through it and um, – like a running water where we don't want to spiritual bypass it and repress it so it just builds up later. And then, you know, you have the people where they um, somebody died close to them, they are back at work two days later because they said they can't, you know, be at home and, and be around because it's like catching up with the grief, right? And then all of a sudden, three years later, they lose um, their friend's cat, and all of a sudden they're bombarded by the, do- the loss of their parents because they did not go through the whole process. So understanding, A, that it's a process. B, again, honoring it. Everyone has their own process in that it could come in levels and layers. The denial, the betrayal, the anger, the sadness, and the acceptance is all very, very real. Holding space for the person, let them speak, not saying, oh, my gosh, you have lost your son four years ago. You should be out of this. You know how many people say that to people? You should be way beyond this, you know? Yeah. Also recognizing that people, and I advocate this for the animals, that I've heard so many people, I've had clients that were almost suicidal because the loss of their animal that was a child to them. It was a partner. It was like a twin flame relationship, partner-child. And then people come in and say, it was just a dog or a cat. You just could get another one, right? It's like putting a knife in the person's heart. So oh, yeah. oh. I had people say to me, my God, I had this one guy crying because he felt that I gave him permission to, to mourn as deep as he was with his loss of his animal and to get into groups that 
support the mourn of the animal, and it's just not just an animal. It was it was a, a lover. It was a, a huge aspect of his life. So that's the holding space, giving people permission, because that then allows us to get less staticky. Whenever we're in grief, think of our energy body gets very, very staticky. Think of being able to connect and make um, communication with them. It goes back to a radio station analogy. The more we are staticky, the more static communication we'll get, and we want to, um, uh, as we go through the grief process and we get less static out of our energy station, then we can connect to their stations, right, in a clear, concise way. Miss Carrie O'Connor, queen of the universe. All right. We'll respect the psychic <laughs> video. We love her on the Outer Limits of the Radio Show. I can learn more about Miss Carrie O'Connor and get a reading with Miss Carrie O'Connor by going to her website at carrieoconnor.com. Thank you so much, Miss O'Connor. Thank you, Ryan. It's always a pleasure. I love you. Joining us now is the clairvoyant cowgirl, psychic medium and, and empath, Miss Lisa Kaza. You can learn more about Miss Lisa Kaza and get a great reading with Miss Kaza by going to her website at lisakaza.com. Okay, Miss Kaza, what can you tell us about death? You had to say it like that. Yeah. <laughs> I tell people, like, what do you do with your show on this week? Is it about flowers? No, it's death. <laughs> death. Well, the thing is, the way that you say that, though, it, it's so um, appropriate, I guess you could say, because, <laughs> you know, the, the majority of people on this planet, that's the energy that you put into that, the way you said it, that's exactly how people feel about it. It's dread. You know, they're dreading it. And, oh. you know, and, and it's scary. And, like, even all my years working as a psychic medium and what I do know, I will admit it right here and now, even I'm scared of death. I'm scared of dying. And But I think what it is, it's because it's fear of the unknown, partially, and of course, you know, knowing that you're going to be leaving everyone behind that you love so dearly. So all of this, uh, you know, that's why all the dread and everything else, is, like I said, even I'm scared of it. But from what I have learned, you know, through the years and, you know, speaking even with a couple of spirits, it's it's all about, it's just a transition. It's just another phase of, I don't want to say life, but I'll say life of the spirit, I have, are there coming out? Are there commonalities to when a person like leaves their body? Is there some kind of process where, even though the experience could be it could be vary in terms of positivity or negativity, is the the motion pretty much the same? Do you just leave your body and you just realize you're out of your body? Like what 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 are some of the common things that happen when you die? Um, well, the first thing I say uh, I have to say is that even though that there's uh, some commonalities between with everybody that you know that have had you know near death experiences or or what have you the thing is i was actually told numerous times by spirit itself that the process and experience of the transition itself is actually quite unique to the individual so it is sometimes it's shaped by a person's belief systems for example or fear, it depends on how deeply ingrained fear is within them and, and that kind of, a lot of different concepts come into play. But one thing that I have noticed that every spirit goes through upon transition, and, and I'm, this is hard to explain because there's no concept of time on that side. 
So in order to just try to help the human brain uh, understand, I would have to say that within approximately 20, uh, 24 hours upon passing, every spirit goes through what's called a life uh, a life review. Okay. And it's literally just what it is. It's a review of your life. And during that time, you see, apparently, you you know, we get to see everything. We review it all. We ponder over it. We assess it as well. Um, we also voice to ourselves and, I guess, to divine the lessons that we've learned. Um, and it's almost like having to take a final exam in high school. <laughs> it's kind of what it feels like. But, of course. You know, for and it's all to do with the evolution of the spirit, a life review. That's one thing I've found. Every spirit. Do you get a chance to see visual stats of certain things that you did in your life? Like, do you get like at the end thing? You get to see how many times you pick your nose, how many times you know you, you masturbated, or how many times, <laughs> how many times you drank beer, how many times you came home drunk. Like, do you yep. get like a stat sheet? And it, do you get like a pie chart reading of how you actually spent your life? And some people are going to see like 85% of the time was on the couch watching TV. I mean, do you actually get like stats? Oh yeah. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But the thing is, it's, it's not, you're not being graded on it per se. So it's not, you know, it's all about the spirits, uh, learning and evolution. Okay. What did I learn? What do I need to continue learning? Um, what did I experience? What did I not experience? Um, and the thing is what happens after, the life review, and I should say this life review itself, um, I can't say, quote-unquote, how long of a period it lasts for. It could be a matter of an hour to a week to a year. I, I, I don't know. I, don't, I haven't come across any spirits that have taken a year, but I guess it could be. But again, like I said, the concept of time on that side, there is none. So I'm just trying to say, you know, Time-wise, you know, the human brain, it has to have concrete answers like that. So, you know, that's why I came out with that number. But after that life review has been completed, the next thing, and this is something else that all spirits will experience, is a decision. A decision will need to be made. What do I want to do next? Do I want to be reincarnated again? If so, when? If so, where? Uh, and to whom? And you know, male, female, uh, animal, am I going to be in it? All of this will then be determined. Or will I ascend higher? Or will I stay here for a while? Maybe I'll become a, a spirit guide to somebody else. Or maybe I just want to stay here on you know, a bit of a lower astral plane just to watch over my family members. So that's the, the next step that I am told everybody goes through. Well, do you get this option if you were like, sorry, if you get this option, if you were a horrific person, if you were some mass murderer, you're some evil person, then they say, okay, here's your life with you. And now what do you want to do? And what if the person's like, I want to stay on earth and keep up my work of tormenting people. Or if you are live one of those lives, do you get thrusted or pulled out of this reality to a different reality that's more of a correlation with the energy that you were presenting in your heart, like, which would be particularly negative? Uh, that's a difficult question to answer 
the thing is, it, it, it's all dependent on us or our spirit. We're the ones that make the decisions and the choices, ultimately speaking. Um, if we need to experience being a more negative or dark person, then for whatever reason, because everything happens for a reason, as I always teach, then, you know, quite possibly it depends. <laughs> it's hard. They could come back here, or as you say, they could go to another dimension. Right. It, it, it entirely depends. It's virtually limitless in terms of possibilities. Okay, so your spirit can do a number of things, and you decide whether you're going to come back. Uh, what is the spirit ultimately trying to do during these life reviews and during these other stages of um, you know, evolution? What is it? What is it trying to do? What is it trying to achieve? Well, to, while it's achieving, trying to achieve balance. Firstly, that's the most important. But balance through the wisdom and knowledge of having a human experience, which ultimately allows us to evolve or ascend. Um, we're always, that's what our main purpose is here today, we're to learn, to experience, and thus grow, and then pass along wisdom to, uh, to others. Um, it's like a cycle effect. Um, yeah, that's basically what, what the, the spirit's here for, to learn. My understanding is that there are various soul groups that come to Earth and evolve. So you may be one of maybe, let's say, 12 people that are part of a soul group. If a member of that soul group is ready for a different evolution, that is ready to evolve beyond the reincarnation cycle of the physical Earth plane, and Earth, does that person leaving in any way, shape, or form damage or limit the evolution of the collective soul group, or does it change the dynamic of the of the soul group that's there? No, if okay. anything, it betters it. It okay. it evolves the dynamics of the entire soul group itself, because it's growth. It's a positive growth, no matter how you want to look at it. So if a particular spirit is ready to, for you know, as you say in basic terms, move on onwards and upwards, that's wonderful. Wonderful for everybody. So, no, it, there, it would be absolutely nothing negative about it at all, but in fact quite positive because everybody, as, you know, even all the New Agers say, we're all one, we're all connected, which I agree with because we're all part of divine and we're eternal and limitless. So, okay. with, the, you know, our just our basic natures, of course, we too, would you know, in the soul groups that are left behind, would likewise benefit from whoever is ascending. How can spirits who are no longer in a physical body communicate with a person? What is some of the style of communication? Also, is it very difficult for a person who's gone through the transition and become a spirit to communicate with a person in a physical body? Like what what are they what are, what do they have access to? And what are some of the skill sets or tools they can, I guess, evolve into in terms of being able to better communicate? Um, geez, I hate it when you ask multiple questions in one question. <laughs> <laughs> I have a small brain. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you got a great brain. Uh, well, firstly, um, let's see if I can remember all this now. Um, spirits can communicate in many different ways. 
whether it's, you know, my favorite is in dreams. Um, They will come to you in dreams and you'll know it's a true visitation when in the dream, the person that is visiting knows that they're dead and they relay on that emotion or will actually say those very words to you in that dream. That's a true visitation. And when you wake up, the emotion is unreal. I've had an experience of that myself, and I can't even explain to you how profound the emotions were. I actually woke up crying. So, yeah. So that's, you know, the first thing. It's one of the easiest because when you're in the dream state, well, that's the closest um, state of being. And the easy, uh, like e- the easiest state in which uh, spirits, angels, your spirit guides ultimately can communicate with you because you're in that dream state. Um, another way is physically, and you know, in our physical world, which does take a lot more um, energy for them to do, but they can do it, and it can be anything such as manifesting a smell. Like um, a few times I could have swore to God I smelled my my grandmother's perfume or her favorite flower, which was, uh, well, she had two, lilies and uh, tulips. I swear I could smell them. So I knew she was, you know, around. Um, If they want to get a little bit more in your face, I had a spirit here in my house one time that didn't like the fact that my mother was here. So they threw a can of, you know, that Axe body spray? Yep. They threw that right across the room and scared the crap out of me. <laughs> so, but that Wait. that takes a lot of energy for them to do. But they can. So it, can they, do they, it. the spirit threw the spirit through the can? Yeah. Yep. Right across the room. Picked it up from off of the oh. shelf and, and just threw it. And it was right in, right in front of Jeez, her. So she that would be. <laughs> oh, I laughed. I thought it was funny as all hell. But, but, um,. When you're talking about a person, like going back to your question, you know, a person that's still in the grieving process, it's very hard for them to communicate. Um, Either way, you know, the spirit could be trying to communicate to them or vice versa. They're trying to connect to, you know, the the spirit of their their loved one, and it's blocked, and it's because the emotions are are way too high. Um, To this day, like, I can't get... Because um, I'm still grieving. It's been some, what 16 years since my grandmother passed, and I still can't get a solid connection with her because I still have too much of a, a, a grief within me. But when you're within the deep state of grief, it, it's very difficult to get the line of communication open. So I usually recommend for folks to you know, when they're still in that grieving process to to just allow themselves time and give themselves patience and allow themselves to heal a bit more. And once they find that they've healed more, um, of course, you can never truly 100% heal from the loss, but, you know, you'll generally know when you're quote-unquote ready. Um, The best thing to do is to start a meditation visualization process, and that is the absolute easiest and quickest ways to uh, open up that door of communication and make contact with who, whichever loved one you you want to uh, connect with. Right, and when you and when you are visualizing them, and you if you are sending them love, is that in any way, shape, or form having an impact on their evolution or ability to grow 
whatever reality or dimension that they're in? Yes, it does. And um, the reason why I say that is because quite often, you know, like I have been involved with um, uh, like hauntings and that kind of thing. And quite often what I found is that when it, there are quite a few hauntings where it was actually a, a family member recently passed on or maybe within, you know, like the last two years at the most, something like that. Well, what I found is that sometimes the grief in itself is so powerful within those that have been left behind that the grief in itself holds them here. They're unable to move on. And it's mainly because, well, well one, they're, they still have emotion. <laughs> they still care. So there would be worry um, within the, the spirit. And so they wouldn't be able to move on. It creates a block. And like I said, it holds them here, so they can't move on. And grief is, and I know some people may get upset with me saying this, but I don't really care because it's true, but grief is a very selfish uh, process. It is. Um, you're, you're not thinking about the spirit. You're thinking of yourself. So you're not in those moments. Of course, you're not sending out that love. Mm. You're unable to. And again, this is understandable. It's actually a human process. But once we get through that, get through through the grief some, and then just take a few moments to, as you say, send them love, send them light, send them healing, bless them. Um, even say, like, a, it, you know, there's some people that have hold anger towards them for leaving it. It's a part of the grieving process, one of the steps. There's denial and anger and and whatnot. So you get into the anger mode, let go of the anger, and even say something to the effect of, you know, I, I, I want you to, to go to the light. I want you to ascend. It's time to to evolve, um, that kind of thing. Letting go, but letting go with unconditional love. That helps tremendously. As of right now, can people, are there things that people can do in order to let's say, prepare themselves better or be in a better position to communicate with friends and relatives when they have passed. So they have some kind of, um, let's say, um, act that they know that they will do in order to reach out to their family and friends. I'll give you one example of this. My means of communicating with family and friends when I am physically gone is you will smell this horrible stench between three-day-old gym socks and sulfur. <laughs> and that... Presence, a sudden presence that you, you will know that I'm with you. Yeah, and that if that's the case, then you'll have absolutely no problems in getting the blessings yes. to go. To I'll be get out. I'll, I'll be I'll be writing books. <laughs> so, you know something? What is will go on your next stage of evolution? No need to visit. Exactly. Again, that's an, another difficult question to answer, just simply because you can never be ready. You know, you can never be fully prepared for the passing of somebody. It's still going to jolt you. It's still going to hurt you. Um, but it, it, it's hard to answer that. Like, I, I have to say that you can't really prepare yourself until after you actually go through the some of the grieving process. And that's when, basically, I, I, I would start. That would be the earliest that anybody would be able to start even considering uh, reaching out and communicating with with loved ones um, wouldn't be any time before. That's for sure. 
but um, I would actually meditation and visualization again I would actually recommend that but to meet with whether it's your animal guides your spirit guides um, your angels that kind of thing get used to getting into that meditative state get used to um, doing the visualizations without you know you can't force things that's the the key thing you can't force things to to move along just go with the flow and that's the best thing that I can recommend is to start the meditation visualization meet your guides and your angels and once you've accomplished that then it'll be so much easier for when you're ready um, to communicate with the the past on loved ones but again, last, again, that can't be done until you get through the grief process first. People say that when something horrible happens, they're like, God has a plan. It's God has a plan. Is that kind of a bunch of crap? Does God really have a plan? Or is that just kind of a way of just, you know, limiting yourself to really examining what what happened or limiting your belief system or limiting your ability to question uh, something fundamentally mysterious been mysterious since as long as people have been here. I would have to say that that is a crutch, but not necessarily the way in which you're trying to imply. I, okay. I believe that um, it's not God that has uh, a purpose or anything. It's us. We're, we're our, I should say our higher selves or our spirits are the ones that have the plan or the purpose. And for whatever reason, like there's so many things that occur that we just don't have the answer to. You know, we ask why, why did this happen? Why did, for example, my, you know, one of my best friends get killed in a car accident so suddenly he was way too young, blah, 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 blah. Well, God has a plan. No, (laughs) God doesn't have a plan. It was his spirit. His spirit made that choice. And likely that choice had been made long prior to his incarnation into this current lifetime. So oh, just well while we're on the subject, is there anything that you can do to change it? I know we're going a little far off, but if you can you ask yourself and ask your spirit if you have something like that happening, can you say, listen, you know, maybe we should just renegotiate and just uh, you know, go in our sleep instead of, you know, going off the cliff? Um I'd like to say that you can. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would like to believe that you can. I don't have a concrete answer to that. But uh, one message that I got in response to, the, to your statement is that, unfortunately, the human mind isn't understanding the concept that was just talked about. <laughs> like, it, it's got not, that's your human mind talking. Well, I don't know. I always feel like that's... it's it's. The, the, what the spirit is saying is no different than what human beings are saying by saying, okay, well, it's God has the plan. Well, then the spirit's saying, well, no, you just have a brain. You don't understand. I think it's the same exact energy reading in that, you know, we should be able to figure this out. And if your brain is capable of more actions and has more power than the strongest computer in the world times 37 trillion, some ridiculous number like that, how can we not be able to come up with a concept or greater understanding of what that is that – it's got to be something that your mind can understand, or at least well, have an outline for. Yeah, well, that's why I said I'd like to believe that that can actually happen. That's why I said that I do believe that it could happen, but I don't. Okay. I'm not getting any solid, concrete answers from divine or spirit at this moment. That that was the response that I actually got. Was that you know the human mind is actually 
maybe overanalyzing, maybe. I'm, I'm not exactly sure, but that was the answer I got. But I'm in agreement with you, you know, uh, personally. I, I do believe, like, I just have this knowing where I do believe that there is something that, yeah, that we can change things. Miss Lisa Casa, thank you so much for your wonderful analysis and insight on death. To learn more about Miss Lisa Casa <laughs> and to get a reading with Miss Lisa Casa. Please go to our website at lisacaza.com. Thank you so much, Ms. Cotter. Oh, as always, thanks for having me, Ryan. Okay, everyone, that concludes part five of the Death Show. Special thanks to our beloved virtues. Part six and seven are going to focus on metaphysical teachers, so I hope you stick around and listen to that. Again, if you're enjoying the Death Show, please share it with someone you love. Share it with somebody who's going through a tough loss. And to learn more about the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show, please go to our website at outerlimitsradio.com so much for listening. Hello, this is Ryan, host of the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show, here today to talk to you about three amazing individuals, and that is the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show virtues, Carrie O'Connor, Lisa Kaza, and Constance Stellis, who've been with the show since the very beginning in 2014. I think if you sat down and talked with one or all three of them, they could probably give you some great insight into your life. First, let's talk about Miss Carrie O'Connor. Learn more about her by going to her website at CarrieO'Connor.com. Miss O'Connor is a psychic medium. She's able to facilitate communications with you and people who cross over. She's able to see ours, read energy fields. She's absolutely amazing. Then we have the Astro Phenom, Miss Constance Stellas. Learn more about her by going to her website at ConstanceStellas.com. Miss Stellas is able to read your chart, find out where you are astrologically speaking, find out what's coming into your future for the next year. She's absolutely amazing what she does. Then we have... Miss Lisa Casa, Psychic Empath. Learn more about her by going to her website at lisacaza.com. Lisa is going to give you the truth directly as it comes to her. She's incredibly intuitive. You're able to shine insight on your life, where you're going, maybe answer some burning questions you have. All three of these individuals are incredible metaphysical teachers. It's a great honor for me to know them. I love them all, and I think you will too. So I hope you get a chance to talk to one or more of them. And hear them every week on the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show, OuterLimitsRadio.com. Want to be heard or seen in front of millions of people? Want to be an expert on TV or radio? Goldman McCormick PR is a New York City-based public relations agency that specializes in traditional and social media placement for law, finance, media, and corporate-based clients. Goldman McCormick PR also are specialists in website development, radio show creation, press conferences, media training, and so much more. Check out GoldmanMcCormick.com for more information. GoldmanMcCormick.com. 